0: Well, you can turn your Bibles over to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 17. There were two blondes who went deep into the frozen woods. They were searching for a Christmas tree. And after hours of sub-zero temperatures and a few close calls with some hungry wolves, the one blonde turned to the other and said, I'm chopping down the next tree I see. I don't care whether it's decorated or not. Sometimes we go about things without not really knowing what the instructions are. Not really knowing how to go about what it is we're doing. So we've been spending some time on looking at how to pray effectively. How to have effective prayers. And so we've been uh, spending time on this just to, to look at what the Word of God says. How the Word of God guides us in these things. Last week we looked at the prayer of fellowship. That when we go to prayer for the purpose of fellowship, we should come away with, uh, first off, understanding. Uh, revelation. Knowledge of God, communion with God. Uh, basically, we should grow. When we go into the prayer of fellowship, we should we should grow. The prayer of fellowship though needs faith. We need to be believing God for things. We need to be believing that God will will do things in order to receive from God. Receiving from God requires faith. We looked at the prayer of fellowship that it involves tongues, meditation, and discussion. Tongues as in there's some faith that's involved with tongues and we pray, but there's, it doesn't engage our faith completely, but it does engage it some. And so we pray in tongues that's a form of prayer or fellowship and we should come out with things with that. There's meditation where we just meditate on the word of God and there's faith in that. When we meditate on the word of God, we believe that we receive revelation for the things that we're studying. There's discussion that takes even more faith. That's when we're uh, having a conversation with God where we speak to him and he also speaks back to us. And we can listen to that. But today we want to look at praying for other believers. Now we're going to look at praying for other people in a a few different ways. But here we're going to be looking at praying for other believers. You don't pray for all people the same way. And believers are one group. Unbelievers are another group. We're going to look at how to pray for believers first. And we'll spend some time also looking at how to pray for unbelievers. In uh, John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted, lifted up his voice to the Heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus, as he's praying for his disciples, separates praying for them as praying for the world. And there are different things that you're going to be praying for believers. How many remember some of the prayers that Paul prayed for the believers in the church? He'd be telling in Ephesians, he tells us some things he prayed for the believers there. In uh, Colossians, he tells us some things he was praying for the believers there. Other places we have, have uh, things mentioned about what he was praying for. But there's uh, one prayer that you can pray for a believer and one prayer that you can pray for one who is not a believer. And you need to know what those things are. There are some things that come upon people's lives because they are not believers. Because they are not following after the things of God. And you cannot pray for those things to be removed from their life. It's not that God is doing them to them, but because of their disobedience, because they're not following after God, certain things have come into their life. Finances is a big one. We cannot pray for the finances of unbelievers because they're not following after God. And the word of God tells us in a number of places what befalls those who don't follow after God. And a lot of it has to do with their finances. It has to do with their supply. And so you can't pray that way. That's being ignorant of the word of God. You can't pray in in that particular direction. But there's also believers who backslide and go away from God. Then there's some things that would come against them. And the word of God depicts some of these things. And, well, you can't necessarily pray, well, God, don't let that happen. Because God said, if you do this, if you go this direction, these things will come. Not that God, again, would do it to you. But simply because you're you're disobeying God. You're not going in the direction that God wants you to go. And he said, if you step out, remember he talked to Moses. Moses, tell the people, if they go this way, if they decide to go this way, these are the things that await them. If they decide to go this way, these are the things that await them. And it's up to us. So there are some things that we cannot pray people out of because they've made decisions that way. But right now we're talking today about praying for believers. Believers that are believing in God, trusting in God, and are attempting to grow. We're not saying that they're perfect believers, but they're believers, nonetheless, they're going after God. So Jesus sees the disciples as first off having belonged to God, that they were given to Him by God, and they came out of the world. Now, we ought to learn something from this and. In here, how many of y'all, you know, we've, we want ministries, we want to be able to do things for God. Don't raise your hands, but I'm sure many of you have said, oh, I, I want to be able to do more for God. I want to be able to minister for God. I want to be able to do some things for him. I, and, and we're waiting for that opportunity to come to us. But the opportunities don't always just come to us. We need to do some things to get those opportunities to be here. The thing that Jesus did was he went around and he, uh, he began ministering to people and people began to come to him. And from that group, he picked his 12 disciples, but he had a number of other disciples that had followed him as well. Why did they follow him? How is it that Jesus got the 12 disciples? Well, Jesus went around and he began to influence people. If you want to have people that depend on you, as Jesus has these, if you want God to give people into your care, you need to get yourself out there. You need to learn the word of God. You need to give the Word of God out to people, just like Brother Jolly was talking about here today, going out to a restaurant, finding somebody to minister to, looking for God to give an opportunity. You don't always have to minister to people that you know. You can minister to people that you don't know. And sometimes that's easier. But when you begin to do that, then people begin to come to you and they can depend on you. But don't just wait for things to happen. You need to have the Word of God in you. You need to be doing what the Word of God says. It needs to have an effect on you On you personally, people need to be able to see that the word of God is working in you, that you have stability, that you have faith, that you have confidence, that you have patience, that you have love, that these things come out from you. And when they begin to see these things then they begin to be attracted to you and they want to pursue, what is it that, how is it that you got these things? And they begin to open themselves up to to what you have to say you can increase your area of influence. Jesus did this. He began to minister to people and people began to come to him. If you're looking for God to give people to you, you got to have something for him to give. Them. You got to have something that draws people to you. So be out there trying to have a uh, an effective, uh, a positive effect upon people. Minister to them. Teach them what you know. I don't know everything yet. Good, teach them what you do know. Don't teach them what you don't know. But you can teach them what you do know. You can begin to learn who these people are, what some things that are about them. Jesus, it says, gave to them what he received, (laughs) what he received. You need to receive some things from God and then go out there and give them. Too often, we've mentioned this a few times, too often people go into prayer. People go into the study of the word. People go into times of meditation, meditating the word of God to get what they need. But that's not always what you're supposed to go into this time for. Sometimes you need to go into fellowship to get what others need. And that should be a a primary focus for you. If every time you get something, your first thought is, where do I need this? Your scope is too limited. The number one thing you ought to think about is, who am I going to run into today that needs this? Who am I going to see this week that needs to to know these things? And you press in for the purpose of being able to explain it to the people that are around you. The people that God would bring to you because you're looking for it. You're not just looking for your own needs to be met. You're not just looking for your own things. Well, I need this and I want this and I No, you're not just looking for all those things. Jesus gave them what he had received and they in turn will give what they receive. He knew the disciples when they he's going to give them things. And then once they receive it, they're going to go out there and give it to other people. That's the whole idea. We receive things from God and then we give to other people. And then once they receive what we give them, then they go on and they pass it on to other people. And they give as well. He goes on in verse 10. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So he took seriously what God gave him. God, you gave this to me, and I'm taking it seriously. We need to take seriously what God has given us. Sometimes we just look at, well, I just got a handful of people. I just got three or four people. Well, so? You take seriously those three or four people. When you do, those three or four people can turn into five or six, seven or eight. How many people actually depend on you? How many people actually look to you to receive stuff? Well, people ought to. Have you received things? If you've received things, you ought to be able to go out there and help other people. They need to be able to look for that. Verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Satisfy them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. How many have ever wanted to pray for yourself? Lord Jesus, take me out. <laughs> right? Well, oh, we've had that many times. Lord Jesus, I'm ready. to Just take me out of this place. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, if Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you take them out of the world. If Jesus does not pray it, you must not be able to do so. Don't pray it that way. Don't sit there and say that just gets you, you know more, more down on the things that are going on in your life. Or don't don't pray, Father God, take me out. Say, Father God, as long as I'm here, I will serve you. That's how you pray. Don't focus in that other direction. That's it, it's really easy to get off there. And it sounds good. <laughs> but that's not what God wants us to be praying. That's not how we should be doing it. Don't pray for other people. Don't for pray for God to take anybody else out of the world either. <laughs> that's not a good prayer. <laughs> Believer or unbeliever, don't be praying that God be taking these people out. <laughs> you got an unruly relative? Don't be praying that way. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. That's the, go- that's the goal. When you pray for other people... Don't pray that they be removed from their hard, hardships, their hard times. Be praying that the evil one doesn't get them. That's what we pray. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You are not of this world. This world is not going to give you satisfaction. This, you're not going to find happiness in this world. You're going to find it through Him, through Jesus. You're not going to find happiness through people. As long as you keep looking for happiness through people, you're not going to find it. doesn't matter who the people are how good the people are. You need to find happiness in God. Satisfy them by your truth. How many times we try and find satisfaction in another way, and it's not going to happen. You got to find satisfaction in the truth. I heard somebody talking about diets a long time ago. I think I've shared this story with you, but um, how many of you all know? You know, there's a lot of different diet fads and a lot of different things that they have out there, and sometimes you know, one of the ways that will teach you to do this if you want to diet and lose weight is when you have a craving for something sweet, when you have a craving for something that's high calorie, you know, eat something different like uh, you know, fresh vegetables you know, like broccoli and carrots and stuff like that. And in uh, that way, you know, you'll you'll satisfy your your hunger and you won't eat any of those high calorie type things. But uh, I heard the person who was explaining this says, you know how many carrot sticks it takes to satisfy the longing for a pizza. It takes a lot of carrot sticks. And you know what you end up doing afterwards? Getting the pizza anyway. (laughs) So, you know, you're not going to find satisfaction in the other thing. I think, you know, best diet in the world. If you want pizza, go get it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, satisfy them by your truth. You are not going to be satisfied as a Christian outside of other places, outside of the truth of God. And you'll find this. I've, I've seen observed a lot of different Christians over the years. And some of them have found satisfaction or supposedly have found satisfaction in places outside the truth of God's word. They found satisfaction in uh, prophetic things. They found satisfaction in fellowship. They found satisfaction in uh, intense times and long hours of prayer. And these things sound good and they sound spiritual, but where's your satisfaction come from? Truth. truth, the truth, that's where you're saying all these other things are good. But the, the truth, that's what needs to satisfy you. You need to get to a place where only truth. As soon as you hear something that's not true, ah, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't taste right. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You have been sent into the world. You are not of this world, but you are in it. And you are sent to minister to the people in this world you're going to be satisfied by the truth. You're going to minister to a lot of people who can't recognize the truth. And you will understand why they're not satisfied with the same things you are. It's all right. Keep staying in there. Minister to them. Help them out. He goes on in verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, this is interesting. He's praying for people he doesn't even know. He's praying for people that these folks are going to minister to and help out. They haven't even come to God yet. Do you know that you can, in the time of fellowship, in the time that you get together with God and God reveals things to you, he can reveal things about the future and you can pray for them? you got to have faith for that, don't you? Prayer fellowship involves faith. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, he's praying for them because he gave them the word and then they're going out and giving the word to others. And so he's praying for those people they're going to give the word to that. They all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's why you stand up against these things that try and divide people. Last number of years, we've gone under a whole lot of things, a whole lot of attacks in this country to try and divide people. Right now, a big one is let's divide the rich and the poor. Don't be divided. God does not want us divided. You should not covet the things that the rich have. Therefore, there shouldn't be any basis for it. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to the media pressure. Don't give in all this thing. Well, they need to pay their fair share. Folks, if the rich paid their fair share in taxes, they'd be paying a whole lot less. I forget the exact numbers of the whole thing, but I do remember the, the outskirts of it. Almost 50% of the people in this country pay no taxes at all. Is that their fair share? They're the ones who use it the most, but they pay no taxes at all. No federal taxes. When it comes down to, I believe the top 5% pay something like 80, 70 or 80%. Is that what you know that? Is it 70 or is it 80? Is it, 80? Is it like 80? I wanted to say 80, but I thought oh, maybe that's too high. Can you believe the top 5% moneymakers in this country pay 80% of the taxes? Is that fair? You know what? Those folks aren't even using the, t- the stuff. That, the t- hardly, hardly using it at all. Don't, don't give in to this stuff. Don't open yourself up to these things. The rich are not the enemy. Their money is not the problem. I saw a stat that was just published. How many of y'all know that they had that big lottery thing? I don't know which one it was. I just know that they were having a big draw in and the jackpot got pretty high and the taxes on it, I believe, was just under $140 million. The taxes. Not how much they got, but the taxes, 100, just under, I think it's actually 136, 137, but just under $140 million. You know how long that would run the government right now? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Can you believe that our government has gotten to the size that it spends $136, $137 million in 20 minutes? That's staggering. Folks, we do not have a tax problem in our country. We have a spending problem. We need to stop spending so much money and then stop blaming other people for it. But see, this is the tactic that people try and do. Divide the rich and divide the poor. This is not a thing to do. We have the thing that's, you know, big business is the enemy. Big business is not the enemy. Thank God for big business because big business hires a lot of people. That's why they're big business, because they have a lot of people working for them. If they didn't have all those people working for them, those people wouldn't have jobs. Big business is not the problem. Stop getting angry at big business. Then we want to get bad at big oil, because they're big. Well, you know what? Thank God for that, because we get to drive our cars around. We get to have all that stuff made out of plastic, because oil companies invest millions of dollars to go find the oil, drill for the oil. Thank God for big oil. Thank God for even Big Pharma. You know, they're out there trying to find new cures. I don't know why they try and find new cures anymore because every time they put a new pill out there, someone's going to, some lawyers find out a problem somewhere and they start suing everybody. I don't know. If I was in their business, I don't know why I keep going out there and finding new stuff. But they're keeping people alive. They're helping people out with that. They don't have faith to, to get there yet, but, you know, they're keeping people alive. We've got to stop being divided about these things. These people are not the enemy, they're not the problem. Don't open yourself up to these kind of things. We, we need to, to not let ourselves be divided. Some of the things they were going through in, in Paul's day, uh, some people were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, I'm of this person, I'm of that person. He says, no, nah, will you stop all that? We don't need to be messing with all that. Some were saying, well, we're Greeks, we're Romans, we're this, we're that. do not We don't need to be divided by race. We don't need to be divided by where we live. We're inner city, we're outer city, we're suburbs, we're <laughs> wherever it is we are. We don't need to be divided by all these things. And what he's, he's praying for is, I don't want them to be divided. The enemy comes in to divide. He sows thoughts. He sows uh, covetousness. He sows all sorts of stuff for the purpose of getting you to build a wall between you and someone else. Sometimes that wall is between you and a spouse. Sometimes that wall is between you and a child. Sometimes that wall is between you and a parent. Sometimes that wall is between you and a neighbor. Maybe people on the job. Don't let the walls be built. God says, I don't want that. Jesus is praying, we don't want these kind of walls being built up. Don't let them go. Don't let them be that way. Stay with it. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus' purpose in praying here is that just as He and the Father are one, He wants all of us to be one. That's His goal. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Their Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's God's goal. He wants that love to be in us. When we pray for other people, we ought to pray to stir up the love of God on the inside of them. Pray for that. That's a thing that you can do. We can pray that, that unity would come about. There are people who constantly want to divide. That's all right. We can still pray to, to bring this part together. Don't, don't let that continue to go on. The oneness of the church is a testimony to the world. The oneness of the church is a testimony to the world. He wants to see that oneness go on. Because he knows what it, what it says to those people that are in the world. Now, somebody was asking me, and I don't remember who it was, but I remember having somebody call me up or text me or something, ask me this question, and we're going to get into this part of it today just so you can see it, but turn over to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Talking about another time that Jesus prayed for the disciples. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren." But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison, to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. It looks here that, oh, I put in your outline, the common thought is that Satan went to God and asked for permission. I may think that about that. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, in this passage, does it say anything about who Satan asked? Does it say that Satan asked God? No. Why is it that we assume that Satan asked God? There's no reason to assume that that, uh, that, that's the, that we, we assume this. But that's not necessarily what happened. Now, we're going back here to verse 31. And Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Whom did Satan ask for? How many of you look at that with say Peter? That's not what the Bible says. It's what the English says, isn't it? But you see, here's the problem. When you translate from Greek into uh, English. In Greek, the the pronouns, you, yours, stuff like that, can be singular or plural. In English, they are not. So what he actually says here in the Greek is, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for all of you. That he may sift all of you as wheat. He's asked for all of them. Not him. Not, he hasn't come after Peter. hasn't single Peter out and says, I want this guy. He hasn't done that. But he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, if the, if we accept the common thought about this, that Satan went to God, asked for God, for Peter, or maybe even in the case, asked for all of them. Why is, if, if he got permission, why would Jesus then pray for God to pull it? <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of contrary? If, if Jesus knows that Satan has asked for these, these, these men, why would he then go to God if God was the one he asked? Would that make sense to you? But I have prayed for you. Who does he pray to? God. We don't have to wonder about that. If you're going to pray, you're going to pray to God. But if you're going to ask, you don't necessarily have to ask God for things. You can ask other people. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So the you is plural, referring to all the disciples. As we said, the common thought is that Satan went into God and asked for permission. But who does the verse say he is asked when it doesn't say? To sift you as wheat again, you is plural. So what is the, what is the thing that's in mind here? Sift means to sift, shake in a sieve. Sift or to shake as in a sieve. Uh, Thayer puts it this way, dropping the figure by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. What he's saying is he has asked to sift you as wheat. He is, he is asking to try and shift or to try to, um, Uh, Put your faith on the verge of overflow. Can you see any scenario in which God says, can I go in there and try and make them become unbelievers? And God says, you know what? Go ahead and give it a shot. See what you can do. (laughs) Can you see God doing that? I can't see God doing that. Weish translates it this way. In order that he may shake you in a sieve as grain is sifted by an inward agitation, trying your faith to the verge of overflow. Overthrow. By inward agitation, trying your faith to the verge of overthrow. He is trying to stir them up on the inside. He's trying to get some things going on the inside of them to the point that their faith would be overthrown. The doubt would rise up and be fed and faith would die. Now, I'm going to take you over here to Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. This is the parable of the sower. This is a time. This is a place where we see the word of God being sown inside of people and the enemy coming to take the word of God that's there. Right. That's what the whole parable is. Therefore, this is the interpretation of the parable. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So he's taking the faith that they had initially in the word, whatever faith was there, he took that faith and he shook it, didn't he? He undermined it. He overthrew the faith that they had. Where in this parable does it say who the enemy asked? Does it say that he asked God? Can I go and mess with that seed that you've just sown? There is nothing in this parable about asking God about anything, is there? But it does tell us why he's able to do it. This is he who received seed by the wayside. They, they didn't have, it, it didn't, it wasn't able to take root. And wasn't able to take root because they didn't understand it. They didn't apply themselves or somehow they didn't understand it because they didn't understand it. It was able to be taken out. So the, the difference between the people who take the seed and it it um, it takes root and it bears a harvest. And these ones that fall by the wayside is their understanding of the word of God. So whose permission did they ask for in order to take what they had? The person who decided not to understand it. The person who decided not to apply themselves. He goes on. But he who received the seed on the stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, when Jesus is talking about these guys being sifted, Persecution is going to come upon them because of the word that's in them. You were with Jesus. They don't want to be identified with Jesus. They are afraid of being identified with Jesus. So because of the word that Jesus had put in them, persecution is coming to them. And they give up what it is that they had. They're holding on to the thing, but uh, they give it up. Because of the persecution because of what's going on. How many of you ever played, um, uh, I don't know if you ever played this when you were a kid. Anybody play rugby when you were a kid? You know, you just kind of roughhousing balls, you know, a little bit different from football. We played rugby a handful of times, not a whole lot. Uh, football, you know, kind of the same idea. But if you, um, if you have the football in football or if you have the ball in rugby, what are people trying to do? Take the ball from you. If you let go of the ball, no one bothers you, right? Now, we're not talking about professional football players here. We're not talking about professional rugby players here. We're just talking about, hey, let's go out and have a fun time. Casual players. When you are a casual player and someone else wants to take, take, take the ball and hurts you in an effort to take the ball from you, what is it that you want to do? Well, you either take on an attitude that says, you are not getting this ball from me. <laughs> Try and get it again and uh, and or else you take the attitude that you know what if this ball is bringing me this much trouble I, i'm going to get rid of it i don't need to have this ball i don't really like this ball that much i didn 't really want to get dirty, <laughs> and you just give up the ball and so that's kind of what this thing is is talking about. There are some people who uh i i i'm just not into holding the football that might I'd just rather give it up i don't want all the persecution that comes to me for this, and so they uh they become players in other positions. They don't want, I don't, I don't want the ball. Don't throw the ball to me. <laughs> I don't want it. When he sees that the word has come in, he puts the persecution on to see, let's see if we can get these guys to drop it. Well, where does the permission come from? Where does it come from? Doesn't it have to come from you? Has to come, it's not, come, it's not coming from God. Has anybody ever wanted something that you had? Yeah, well, they they want to come in. They want to take it from you. But in essence, you have to let them. Either they have to overcome you with with greater power. But in essence, you have to let them. There was a situation that, uh, you know, when my wife and I, we got married. um, The people that were in my groomsmen, they were supposed to be good friends. They weren't. Because during the ceremony, after the ceremony was over and we were in the reception part, they had the idea that they were going to uh, gang up on me and uh take me out and shave off my mustache and so um somehow i got wind of what i uh, saw them gathering and you know you ever see people gather together it's generally not good you know that's just not a good thing and so they gathered and i saw what they were doing and we were at the reception hall at the time and so there wasn't too much that you could do you know at the reception hall uh, there was one time they, the, the same group of guys tried to do something like that when uh, they wanted to take me out and they tried to kidnap me to take me to a bachelor party. The thing is, they made a the mistake. They did it outside. And uh, once I saw what they were trying to do and that they were trying to forcibly put me into a vehicle, I immediately got away from them and I took off running. Now, the problem is, if you have a person who's a long distance runner and you are not. It's not good to do this outside because i I just kept running i don 't know where we were. I ended up I ran back to where I worked at, which was uh um, i don 't know four or five miles away they didn 't follow me, <laughs> and I got away now i didn 't have a bachelor party; they had it all by themselves, <laughs> but i didn 't know that 's what they were trying to do, so I was able to get away, but here at the reception hall, they decided to do this inside, and so they did it inside, and so um I, I saw them coming, and so i I grabbed hold of the only thing I could find, which was a railing on the step. Now, I grabbed hold, fortunately, I don't know if I thought about this ahead of time, but I grabbed hold at the point where if you stood on the step below me, it was way down there. You couldn't do anything. And so I was pretty safe from that direction. All they had to do was from the, 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 get me from the other direction. And there was no one from the wedding party that assisted me in this. They all just kind of stood around and watched, except, <laughs> except for one. There was one person who did give me a hand, but um, I, I grabbed hold of the railing and they were, they went over and one person got one hand. They tried to peel the fingers back and another person got the other hand, and tried to peel the fingers back. And um, I grabbed hold with everything that I had. I grabbed hold so hard of that, that my new wedding ring dug into my finger and I was bleeding, but I did not let go. I was not giving permission. <laughs> I was going to hang on to this thing. And so my daughter came to the rescue and she, uh, she, she said, you know, what are you doing to my dad? And so uh, they saw the, the, the little girl and the tears and all, so they, they pulled back. <laughs> I don't know how long I would have lasted. I was ready to last for the, the whole evening. I was just ready to stay there and you're not going to do this. <laughs> and so they eventually gave up, but she was the only one who came along to help. Yeah, they even tricked my wife into signing permission. She said, I didn't know that's what they were getting me to sign. They told me it was something else. And they, so they, they tried to show me we have signed permission. I said, well, you don't have mine. <laughs> See, someone wants, they want to take something from you. They, uh, they got to get your permission. And you can give it or you cannot give it. But sometimes we just need to hang on to some things and not just, not just give up and let it go. It depends on how much you want it. We need to want the Word of God. We want to want to have the truth. But you see, they're going to come to some and they said, you know, they, they got a little bit of root. But as soon as the tribulation came because of the Word. We're not just talking about tribulation. We're talking about tribulation that comes because of the Word. What do you mean you're believing God for that? What do, mean, what do you mean you believe that God created the earth? And they begin to challenge you on these things that you believe. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So, all right, we can't get there with persecutions and stuff. Well, we're going to get in there. We'll get the cares of the world. We'll get you so focused on doing the things that you need to do to get by and make a living that you don't put time into the word of God. We'll get the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. And when that happens, they become unfruitful and the seed becomes unproductive. All three of these is basically showing you how permission is asked for. But it's not asking God. It's asking you. And you can see how some of this worked in the lives of the disciples. But Jesus said, I pray for you all. So is permission asked for? Well, here we alone are the tactics. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. They become unfruitful. Persecution. A lack of understanding, these things give permission to the enemy to come in. Put in your outline, did the disciples qualify as one of these types of soils? At least I think I put that in here. Well, sure they did. And so do we. The devil is going to come, the enemy is going to come in. He's going to look for, for permission to sift you as wheat, to take from you what God has given. Now, in the Luke passage, I think we've covered this before, but is this plant this? The seed spawns the focus. Does he ever focus on the plant? All he focuses on is the roots and the harvest. We a lot of times focus on the plant. But when Jesus tells his parable, he's looking at the roots, how good the roots did, and the harvest. Now he comes on with this thing. He says, he is asked to sift you as wheat, talking about all of them, but here, but I have prayed for you. You here is singular. But I have prayed for you. He's talking to Peter. He's basically saying, Peter, Satan is asking right now to get all of you. But I want to let you know this because we're talking. I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you specifically. And he's telling him what he prayed specifically. Because Peter was the one who said, I'm not going to deny you. And so he's turning his focus on to Peter. So what does Jesus pray for? First off, that is faith. Would not fail. We can pray for other people. That their faith would not fail. Too often. We are praying for believers. That the. The the, the things that come against them. The tribulations. The trials. The lack of understanding. all the, We pray for, for those things not to happen. But that's not what Jesus prays for. He prays that their faith would not fail. He says. All right. The enemy is coming after you. But I'm praying right now. That your faith does not fail. And that when you have returned to strengthen your brethren. That's what he's praying for. He does not pray for him to return. He says that when you have returned to strengthen your brethren. So he prays that their faith, that his faith would not fail and to strengthen the brethren. But the returning part was on him. How many times have we spent time praying, oh, Lord, let them turn back to you. Let them return to you. If Jesus isn't praying that for Peter, how good of a prayer is it? Jesus does not pray for him to return. Nor does he pray that the test for, for the test to be lessened or removed. How many times are we spending times praying for other Christians that first off they return to God? Or secondly, that the test they're facing be lessened? If Jesus does not pray that for the twelve that he put so much into, what business do we have praying it for other people? We're not following the Bible example. He doesn't pray for the test to be lessened or removed. Later on in the section here, he exhorts them to, to pray with purpose. Let's pull up verse 39. I didn't put that in here for me. Go down to verse 39. We're going to read 39 and 40. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray. That you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, he's not saying pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let me enter into temptation. That's not what he's praying. And if you pray that for yourself or for other people. You're wasting your time. Because when you enter into temptation, you decide it, right? It's a decision you made. God does not make you do things. He does not decide for you. You decide. I want to read you for verse 40 here in the Weiss translation. He said to them, keep continually praying that you will not enter the place where testing will be so severe that it will lead to, to solicitation to do evil under which you will fall. There's a, a place where testing can get so severe that you could fall. But see, prayer helps you out because prayer builds you up. Prayer builds up your endurance so that you don't have that problem. You, your your endurance is higher. He's saying pray that you don't enter into temptation. Jesus went and he prayed for the same purpose. Do we see him saying, well, Father, I pray that I, I don't fall into temptation. No. He He's saying, Father, if there's another way to accomplish this, let's do it. But if not, I'm ready. And he's praying to build himself up to get himself ready for that. We need to follow those kind of things and, and do what he's he's doing. I put some some things here as you're praying for other believers. To pray this way. In praying for other believers, first off, know their condition. you got to know their condition. Know their condition spiritually and know their condition physically. You know, you're, it's going to change how you pray if a person is unconscious. If they're not conscious, if they're not able to, you, you, it's going to change how you pray. A lot of times when I find out that a person is unconscious and I don't know them, my questions are, what were they saying before they became unconscious? If they're a believer, we're talking about believers here today. If they're a believer, what what were they saying? What were their words? If their words were, well, I think I'm going to die. Well, I think this is it. Well, that's what we have. Those are the things, those are the seeds they sowed. Those are the things that either their intentions, their wishes, whatever, that's what you got. But if their words were, I'm believing God, I'm getting through this. Well, then you have that to work with. But those things that those people say are important. You need to know what they were. What kind of things were they saying? Because you cannot go against what they have said. You may like to. We need to know their physical condition. We also need to know their spiritual condition. Spiritually, where are they? Are they in a works mentality? Are Are they in a faith mentality? Are they in a place where uh, they're growing spiritually, or have they let themselves become stagnant? What is their spiritual condition? You need to know these things. You need to ask these questions. Where are they spiritually? We, we're go- if we're going to sign up with them, if we're going to come into agreement with them, well, we need to we need to find out where they are. Because I can't be believing God for one thing if that person is is not there. That's not going to be successful. Brother Hagen used to always talk us about that when he would pray for people. He'd ask them the same question over and over again. What are you believing for? What do you want God to do? Well, I Jesus did the same thing. When the deaf guy came, what did Jesus say? <laughs> what do you want? When the blind guy comes, what does he say? What do you want? What, you want? what are you believing for? It's important that you know. What do you... What are you believing for? What do you want God to do? You need to find those things out. If they don't want to get specific with you, they just want to say you know general things or just, well, nothing in particular. Well, that's what, you, what you'll get. Nothing in particular. Know their condition. Secondly, know their faith. As we said, what are they believing for? What are they asking God to do? Know their faith. How, have they been building themselves up on faith? Or have they been building themselves up on the works mentality? Number three, know their fight. What kind of fight they got in them? Have they given up? Sometimes you run into people and they just have given up. If you, they're done. They get, you know what? I am done with this. And, um, you know, that may not be God's best. Maybe it's not the best way for them to go. But sometimes you can just get to a place, you know what? I have fought this thing. Whatever it is, I'm just, I'm just tired. I think I just want to go home. That may be hard for us to accept. But you can't exert your faith over theirs. If they're ready to go home, then just, well, okay. You go on home. Know their fight. Know their condition. Know their faith. Know their fight. Now, here's the tough one. Pray the word, not your emotions. Pray what the word of God says, not what your emotions say. It's real, especially with people that you're close to, close friends, relatives, people that you've been around for a while. It is real tough. We want to pray what we feel. Oh, but Father, I need them. Oh, but I just, I need them to be around. And we pray what our emotions want and not what the Word of God says. We go outside of the Word of God. And that's not what you can do. You can't pray your emotions on this. You got to step back and say, what does the Word of God say I can do? What is it that they're believing for? What is it that they want? And you need to go on from, from there. You can even get into put this into factor. What does God want? What does God want in the situation? We know what you want. We know what they want. What does God want in the situation? I remember the most uh, vivid story I had with that was uh, you probably heard the story before. Brother Hagen was talking about his uh, father-in-law, uh, uh, Mr. Rooker, I think his his name was, and he was he was dying, and he went into the room and he was going to pray him out of death. He had been ministering to him. He knew what his spiritual condition was, and. Um, he was uh, growing in the Lord at this point. And so he was praying. And the word of God does tell us, you know, let us contend together. Sometimes God contends with you. We're not always contending with God. Sometimes God will come in down and make a case for something else.